begin. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your love for us, and we thank you for your gifts of love. We pray that you would uh, teach us, that you would instruct us by your word, that you would work in our hearts and minds, that we might take hold of the truth that you have revealed for our good, and that we might also practice it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at uh, growing in virtue, uh, looking thus far at faith and hope, and so you can probably guess what we're doing this week, uh, love, uh, starting with the, the triad of, of virtues that Paul sometimes groups together in his epistles, and uh, for example, we've looked at Colossians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5. And in each of those places, of course, he mentions love, uh, love for all the saints, uh, their labor of love, and to put on the breastplate of faith and love. And so love is one of these virtues that we are to add and practice and exercise and grow in uh, as we indeed reflect the character and excellency of our God. Uh, But consider first the importance of this virtue, the importance of love. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Like, that's the aim. He's contrasting that in context with Uh, teaching that was unprofitable, that was leading people astray into things that were just not important. And he is redirecting Timothy. This is the aim of our charge. It's love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Of course, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, uh, what is the great commandment? What commandment is is the greatest? Uh, He answered, quoting two passages from the Old Testament, uh, both of which uh, spoke of love. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all the law could be uh, summarized and depends upon uh, these two commandments to love God with all of your being um, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, another place where Paul uses the triad of faith, hope, and love is in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So that means it's really important. It's greater than faith and hope, which, of course, are important, too. Uh, We might say that faith is the most foundational virtue. It's usually listed first because by it we receive Christ, uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, But uh, in another way, love is uh, the most important as the highest uh, virtue. Um, We might say the most enduring. Certainly faith and hope abide, but they also kind of culminate in, in the age to come, that faith gives way to sight 
and our hopes are realized. Certainly, it doesn't mean that they pass away, but uh, love endures as uh, that which we will continue to enjoy uh, with God and one another. Or think of how Second Peter, when he says, you know, add to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge, that the one that he comes to at the end is, is love. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, he speaks of love. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, I think he's primarily speaking of love for one another, love for the saints, uh, but then also, of course, he's speaking of love for the Lord. And, in fact, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. And then... Uh, Peter, it's not just something that Paul says, right? Not just something that Jesus says. Uh, Jesus, through the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, Above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So this is something very important that we should fix our minds upon and continue to remember as we live our lives to, uh, to exercise Christian love. So if it's important, we should figure out what it is. Uh, What is love? Um, There are two main Greek words used in the Bible for love. um, Agape and uh, phileo, or the noun form would be philia. Uh, These Greek words, sometimes when people teach about love, they might overemphasize the contrast between different Greek words for love. And really in in the Bible... Uh, these terms are overlapping without a strong contrast, in fact, sometimes used interchangeably, uh, going back and forth in a passage. And perhaps phileo is emphasizing the aspect of friendship uh, a little bit more. In fact, when it's used as a, uh, in a certain context, if, if it's used as a um, substantive adjective, you know, a loved one, it's translated friend. Uh, like Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Um, Agape is used more commonly, uh, but phileo is more common in compound words. So, love of money, love of God, love of husband. There's a lot of love of brother, brotherly love. uh, A lot of compound words in Greek that use that word. So, agape means, in the dictionary, to have a warm regard for an interest in another, to cherish, to have affection for, love or to have high esteem for or satisfaction with something to take pleasure in. Uh, Phileo is to have special interest in someone or something, frequently with focus on close association, have affection for, like, consider someone as a friend. It can actually even be used to refer to to kiss as a special indication of affection. Uh, Judas phileoed uh, Jesus. The word there is, is... Uh, the word for love, but of course it means in that context uh, to kiss. Uh, both of these Greek words can be used for bad loves. Is all love good? Not, not every exercise of love is good. Love of money, for example, is kind of strongly condemned in Scripture, both Greek words being used for that. Um, but there are good loves, like the love of Jesus. Both Greek words can be used for that. So the object of love and the proportion of, of love, the order of love is important. That's also true of faith, right? Is all faith saving faith? Is all faith good faith? Are some faiths bad? If you put the faith in a false god, that would be a bad faith. 
uh, faith is good as a virtue, of course, as it's exercised, especially in God. Uh, same with hope. You could have vain hopes. You could have hope in the wrong thing. Uh, you could hope for bad things. Uh, but there is a Christian hope. Similarly with love. Uh, properly ordered love is a virtue. In fact, the highest virtue. <clears throat> but love can be misdirected, uh, corrupted. The love of self there might be a certain natural love of self that Scripture doesn't have to exhort you to. You're going to care for your body. Um, and so in the commandments, we say you take responsibility for yourself as well as for others. But there's also a love of self that is sinful. And, and that term, love of self and love of money, uh, both of those are used in 2 Timothy 3 as bad things uh, that, that uh, should be avoided. There's love that's distorted by covetousness or by immoral lust. Those are distortions of love. Can you think of what would just be the opposite of love? What would you use as an opposite? Hate. Hate, yes. Hatred is an opposite of love. Think of how John uses the contrast between love and hatred. Cain being one who hated his brother. Hatred of the world. The love of God. Um, Envy, you might connect with hatred as well. There's a lot of related um, counter-virtues or vices that uh, would be associated with, with hatred. Um, or think of it as the opposite of love as simply as neglect, contempt, apathy. You know, you don't care. You think uh, that you despise someone. There's another form of the, uh, that is opposite to love. But there is a, a virtuous love. As uh, one Reformed writer says, spiritual love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We show this type of love by loving God for his sake and our neighbors for God's sake. In fact, almost everyone that writes on this says that. I think it originates with Augustine, but Catholic, Protestant, um, defining love as loving God for his sake and our neighbors for God's sake. Uh, Thomas Watson, Puritan, spoke of love in his book on the Ten Commandments. And speaking especially of Christian love, he says, What is love? It is a holy fire kindled in the affections, whereby a Christian is carried out strongly after God as the supreme good. And I think that's a good description. It's something that is, it's an inner affection, a holy fire kindled in the affections. It also is that which it has an object, certainly God, but also carries you out toward the object that you uh, are carried out strongly after God, a strongly after God. It's a vigorous affection. And after God as the supreme good, the thing that you uh, desire and seek to participate in, have fellowship with, uh, that you cherish him. He goes on to say, uh, wherein does the formal nature of love consist? The nature of love consists in delighting in an object. This is loving God, to take, to take delight in Him. Uh, that we delight in something that, that we love in, that we love. And of course, our love for God ought to be, he says, with a whole and undivided heart, to love Him for Himself, not just because He might do something for you, but as Himself being that supreme good to enjoy him, uh, to love him above all else, to love him as much as you can with all your ability, uh, to love him constantly, uh, to exercise this love in every sphere, 
He says, love to God must be active in every sphere. Love is an industrious affection. It sets the heart, it sets the head studying for God, hands working, feet running in the ways of his commandments. It is called the labor of love. First Thessalonians 1, 3. Uh, so love is an industrious affection. It is an affection, but of course it also is exercised in, in works, in things that you do, in loving behavior. And now, love for God is preeminent, and if we love God, we'll also love those who are made in his image, for his image in them. Um, and that's why we shouldn't kill them, because they're made in the image of God, but how much more should we love them then? Uh, love them, as our neighbor, even as ourselves, as made in God's image. And then all the more, those who have been born of God, those who have been received as his children, regenerated so that now they bear his character, they're being renewed after his image, how much more should you love one another, uh, love the saints? So love for God, as in the greatest commandment. Love for all the saints, which is what Paul had said in Colossians 1, but you can also think of how Jesus says this is the new commandment. What's the new commandment that he gave to his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed? <laughs> that you love one another as, as I have loved you. Yes. And so we'll get to it in a second. Jesus is the model for, for this love, but it is especially a love for one another especially because in the next verse he says, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. So this is especially a love shown for fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, who are able to mutually participate in that Christ-like love and that Christ-motivated love. Um, There's also certainly love for family that Scripture exhorts us to as a virtue. As as part of this, they're some of your closest neighbors, uh, right? And uh, Ephesians 5, Paul says, husbands to love your wives. Uh, and in t- Titus 2, he t- uh, says that wives, or that women should love their husbands and their children. Uh, there's certainly a mutual love of husband and wife, and then also both loving in a particular way as husband and wife, and love for those who are are close to you. But also love for your neighbor extends to to the person you find on the side of the street, like the Good Samaritan was a, a neighbor to the wounded man that he found, and even extends to your enemy, as Jesus said in Matthew 5. Why should you love your enemy? What does Jesus say is the reason that you should love your enemy? Right, so first of all, that uh, even the Gentiles love the people who love them, uh, and you're called to, to exceed their righteousness, to, to, to be called to something greater than that. And then he uses another argument, too, which maybe you were alluding to at the end of what you said. So that's, that's close. It's, uh, it does have to do with what God does. Does God love those who hate him? Does he even love those who will never love him? Yes. 
In a sense, yeah. I mean, he shows a certain benevolence and mercy. He uses as example that he sends the rain. He sends the sun upon the wicked, even to the ungrateful. Uh, he doesn't love them with electing, saving love, but he does love them in, in uh, giving them good things that they do not deserve as, as an example of how then we too, not merely as an example for us, we ought to do it because this is his character, uh, that he is long-suffering, that he is merciful, uh, and shows kindness even to both the good, those who love him, as well as the wicked and ungrateful. Right, I mean, we we are his creatures, and like I said, it has has limits. But you know, he is long suffering and patient, and these characteristics, these excellencies, are demonstrated in the course of his creation. Um, and that's what Jesus says: is why you should love your enemies, that you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and so your love should resemble His. So love your enemies. Of course, you can't describe love without going to 1 Corinthians 13, which is appropriate to read at weddings, but it's certainly not only about or even primarily about weddings. It's written in the context of a church that needed love, that had been divided by competing, oh, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, had also been divided around the Lord's Supper where they weren't waiting for each other and then divided about being puffed up about certain spiritual gifts that they had and being disorderly about them. And so Paul speaks of love, and he says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So these are characteristics, qualities of of love, the love that Christians ought to demonstrate uh, resembling their Savior. He also says in 1 Corinthians 8 that this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That is a characteristic of love as well. It's edifying. It it builds other people up. There's also related virtues to love. Um, Similar virtues that if we had an extended series, maybe we'd spend a whole lesson on them. But things like goodness or generosity, um, kindness, Think of the fruits of the spirits, goodness, kindness, being some of those. Mercy, which is really love exercised towards those who are in misery or danger. That you see their distress, either they're about to suffer something or they are suffering something, and you yet love turns into mercy as you desire to help them and you lay their misery to your own heart that you feel for them and seek to do something about it if you can. Uh, that this type of mercy or compassion is rooted in, in love. Hospitality, literally, love of strangers, one of those compound words. You have love of brother, you have love of stranger, but concretely, that often means showing hospitality, um, in which we are called to exercise too. Brotherly love or brotherly affection, um, natural affection. Uh, in Romans 1, it speaks of those who have, are, are without natural affection, uh, as, as a sign of 
God's uh, withdrawing from them of their depravity, but they're without even that natural affection with the Gentiles are supposed to exercise. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't love those who love them, but, you know, characteristically they do. <clears throat> but we can think of, of times where characteristically even unbe- unbelieving mothers and fathers will love their children. You know, usually that, that's a natural affection. Um, but there are times even where mothers and fathers won't love their children, or vice versa. And so even natural affections can be undermined by sin. All right, so like I said, God's love is primary. Not only the love of God, but God's love for us. That is uh, the, the first love that ever existed of, of God's love among himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and even his love for us, which is from all eternity before we existed. God has a general mercy towards all. He has a love for his elect in Christ. Uh, Christ himself, you know, it's not like only the Father loved us and then Jesus had to go. No, Jesus loved us as well. Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, that Jesus uh, loved us and gave himself for us. He laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than that. So 1 John 4, 8 through 9 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And so that is how we know love, and it's also our motive for love. It's our motive and our model. Why do you love? Because he loved us. And what does love look like? Well, it looked like the way he loved us. Um, that is how we ought to love. So as a model, uh, we learn, well, how, did, how would you describe God's love for us? What are ways that we can imitate God's love? What do we learn about love from the way God loved us? It's unconditional. It's unconditional. What do you mean by that? So he set his love upon us, even though we deserve quite the opposite, right? It wasn't because he saw, oh, this is a great thing that this person's doing. I'm, I'm going to love this person. Sacrificial. Sacrificial, right. That he gave his only begotten son. That he laid down his life. It's self-sacrificial. Yeah, we learned from his exercise of love that someone who loves another will seek that person's good. You know, Jesus didn't look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others by humbling himself, by taking the form of a servant, even unto the death on a cross. That's Paul's argument in Philippians 2. Seeks the good of that person and also delights in fellowship with that person. God loved us to bring us to himself, or he loved us and therefore Brought, him, brought us to himself. He didn't just want us to be happy, but to enjoy him, uh, to have fellowship with him, and also, therefore, to be willing to sacrifice for that person. And so these are ways that you and I also should imitate his love. But it's also a motive. We love because he first loved us. We love him who has loved us. We love him for himself, and we love, him be- we love others because of him. And so... Where is the source of this virtue of love? It is of God. It's produced in his children. 
It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the first thing listed among the fruit of the Spirit. It's founded upon knowledge and faith. When a person perceives the goodness of God and perceives his enjoyment of that good, and that person you know, seeks God and delights in him as his or her supreme good. So if you didn't know anything about God, why would, why would you love him? But it's by knowing God, by knowing his goodness, by knowing that he has loved you, and we know that by reading scripture, and we know that by receiving him in faith, that therefore we love. So love comes from faith. Remember, our aim is love that issues from a pure heart and a sincere faith, a good conscience. Or Paul says, faith uh, works by love. And then it expresses itself in good works, uh, acts of charity to others, obedience to God's commandments. Like the woman at Jesus' feet, we love much because we are forgiven much, and therefore we show that love by acts of devotion to him. And in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, we should do all things in love. Let all that you do be done in love. So out of a motive of love, and therefore in a loving manner, Love is the inner affection that produces loving deeds. Uh, You ought to exercise it, to direct it rightly. Um, Not only by willpower, like, I'm going to love. You you should do that too. But also trying to motivate it, to meditate upon the things that are going to cause you to love. Just as uh, thinking upon a person um, and their good qualities, you know, often stirs up love for that person, uh, same with God, uh, to seek to motivate your love. Meditate upon the goodness of God or God's image in man. Love should not be primarily defined as the behavior it produces. Um, sometimes in an overcorrection to an overly inner and mushy idea of love, we might say, well, love is doing good things for others. Well, Yes, but primarily it's the motive that's producing those, those deeds. Um, it is the motivation of loving behavior, but the deeds of love can be spoken as love. That, you know, I can see love there by, by your deeds for one another. After all, the world's supposed to see the love that Christ's disciples have for one another. Let me finish up then. Uh, for, I guess, are there any questions or comments before I uh, conclude? Um, I want to finish up with the maintenance of love. It's like a fire that needs to be kept aflame, otherwise it might grow cold. Remember the Ephesian church, they didn't have their first love. They lost their first love. They had declined in their love and their fervor. Uh, Jesus speaks in Matthew 24 of uh, the love of some growing cold. So Thomas Watson, again, he says, You who have love to God, keep it flaming upon the altar of your heart. As you would be careful to preserve the natural heat in your body, so be careful to preserve the heat of love to God in your soul. Love is like oil to the wheels. It quickens us in God's service. When you find love abate and cool, use all means to quicken it. When the fire is going out, you throw on fuel. So when the flame of love is going out, make use of the ordinances as sacred fuel to keep the fire of your love burning. Remember that 
Uh, You are responsible to maintain and to exercise this love. Peter says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue knowledge, what's add to your brotherly love? Love. Make every effort to add this love and to grow in it. Ponder the glory and excellence and goodness of God displayed in his word that a sense of these things might inflame that love. And then exercise it. Uh, in, in service, in song, in worship, in prayer. And the same goes for your love for the saints and your love for other people. Grow in love by consistently exercising love and inflaming it through a meditation upon the love of your God. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for teaching us and for loving us for your love and favor that you have shown to us and granted to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for your many gifts of love, uh, which are with us every day. Uh, We pray that you would uh, inflame our hearts with true love and delight in you, that we might enjoy you and fellowship with you, and that we might therefore also love one another as you have loved us. And you would fill us with generosity and kindness towards our neighbor, that we would find love within our families, that we would love even our enemies, as you are uh, kind and, and generous even to those who are ungrateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.